Right, are we recording? We are. Wonderful. We're back. We are back in the same room, in the same country. Without masks. Without masks. Without corona. Uh, well, yeah, well, yeah. Well, yes. I mean, corona is still in the world, but we, well, don't, yeah. we don't have it. It's We're free of it in this household. All right. Ready? Yeah. Well, I think I'll probably just leave in that random Twittering That's at the beginning. Absolutely fine. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Legendary Tales podcast. I am your host, Adam Bloor, and as always, I am joined by Isadora Martin Dye. What's up? <laughs> Um, this is the podcast where we talk about everything legendary, uh, monsters, cryptids, cool places, cool buildings, and today, Catholic saints. we're talking about Catholic saints, which are <laughs> equally epic, dragons, unicorns, Catholic saints. Let's be real clear, neither of us are Catholic. Never have been. Um, I did go to a convent for five years, I convent school. never even have been in a Catholic church. I was not good at it. <laughs> not good at being Catholic. I was one of. I was never supposed to be. I was never Catholic. I was just one of the worst people's at a Catholic school. <laughs> um, well, there's something to be said about that. Yeah, you know what? I wear my badge of honor. I went to a Catholic wedding once. It took like 13 hours. Oh my god! I went to a Catholic wedding once. They talked about things that you shouldn't talk about at a wedding. Very strange stuff. I, no, they seriously. Okay, so I do have actually a lot of respect for the Catholic faith, and I have many friends and family members that are Catholic from my days at Catholic school. But let's be real clear. You should not talk about abortion. During a wedding. During a wedding. Just generally, don't, yeah. like, just leave it off the table. Yeah, I worked in a, I worked at a wedding, your wedding venue for a year. Yeah. And I, I, you learned pretty quickly. There's a couple of things. You just leave it off the table. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I, that ever even crossed my mind as like a thing you should bring up. Yeah, no, this Catholic wedding, they talked about abortion and how happy they were that people had voted against gay rights. Oh. It's, um. You know, it didn't age well. Very, and this was only a few years ago. Very, very epic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so today we, well, a few weeks ago, like actually months ago, I think we okay, floated so the idea. so real quick question. Uh, real quick science. apology, not question. Yeah, uh, sorry that we have been absent, but um, I have just gotten back. Into, I've been in the country for only two weeks now at mm -hmm. this point. Um, and obviously had to quarantine for five days before I went out and started doing things in, in the public eye. Uh -huh. So and then and then I went and got tested. And somehow, even though I tested negative enough to get into this country, I tested positive my first COVID test back. And then and then I tested inconclusive. Uh-huh. So um so I am I'm back now into real life. Yep, yep. Uh, With he's totally inconclusive as a lot. Absolutely inconclusive. <laughs> as a human. Is good enough, I guess. Um, um so he's back and we are back and we are together. Yes. And we are back and, and we're we gonna are going do to be regular. Yes, we are back yeah. on a schedule and we're gonna batch record some episodes. Not this weekend. Not this weekend. But <laughs> someday. So I I don't know that it's ever well it came up a minute ago, but it's never really come up, which is that we um, my husband and I own a wedding venue. Right, yeah. Um, Not on this podcast. I don't think it up? really has come up. Uh, we own a wedding venue in the States, and it's... Very successful. Very successful, but unfortunately not very busy right now because, you know... Um, the world is burning. Yep. Although, for those that have newly engaged out there listening, we do do a phenomenal <laughs> elopement package. Uh, <laughs> we'll email it out to you. Uh huh. If you just, want. just a DM us on Instagram, and I'll, I'll send you elopement details, and you'll even get ten percent off for listening to Legendary hey. Tales. There you go. No. Uh oh, it's called Rick Humana. Yes, we should mention the name probably. Right. Uh, Very but, presumptuous of uh -huh, us <laughs> that you would just know. Um, but no. So I am also in the process of recording a podcast for Rick Humana. Um, on wedding planning, and it is uh, videoed. Yeah. We are actually videoing it. 
which means that before I record, not only do I have to do research and questionnaires and I have to look less like I do right now, which is in sweats which with is a massive why we zit on my face. Which is why we don't record this podcast because we never look good. Uh, so anyway, no, we will not batch record this weekend because I have like 10 hours of interviews 8, today. 8,000 podcasts to record. Uh-huh. But we are going to, over the next few weeks, back yeah. weeks batch record. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to float something by you on on the, on on the live air. recording. Uh-huh. Um, I think we had brought it up briefly a, a couple of weeks ago was that a lot of the topics or a few of our topics have been gaining some oh, some, yeah. some, some advancements in in their details yeah obviously we've inspired people around yeah, the world to um, write a show about the cecil hotel and, yeah and the netflix si- the yep. netflix which i can't watch the documentary have you tried it yet Mm-mm. i can't watch it because i know it oh because yeah. i've done so much research you did like, research even before you did that episode yeah cecil i'm pretty although i have to learn i have to realize I th- I think I've been pronouncing it wrong. They call it... They say Cecil. Do they say Cecil? I don't think they say Cecil. Cecil? I think they say Cecil. Do they? I thought I had seen the... Tr- uh, well, we might already be wrong <laughs> about... Welcome to the podcast. That's yeah. always wrong. Um, um, I yeah. think it was Cecil. I don't know. Well, anyway. anyway. And then the Dyatlov Pass incident that we did a, a few yeah. months ago. Uh, After a user listener... Re- recommended, which recommended. please recommend us yeah. shows now that we're back. Um, yeah, some scientists found out that it was probably just an avalanche that had micro avalanche, yeah, or something. We were something. wondering if you guys out there listening wanted us to maybe go back and revisit these old topics that we've already covered when things come up. Yeah, because I think it's it would be interesting to see how. Yeah, there's been quite a few. I'm trying to think. There was at least one other one that had a a, a documentary about the snake churches yeah. came out recently too. There's it was... been a few things. I reckon there's someone at Netflix. Is listening to our podcast. Is listening to our podcast. Does if that you mean are, we, hi Netflix? Does that mean we, um, we are we are big fans? We are uh, do some money from Netflix. I don't know, but there certainly seem to be listening to legendary tales yeah. uh, topics. Or and our producing. phones are just listening and they're yes. recommending all of our topics back to us. Yeah, who? Uh, yeah, that's possibly more likely. <laughs> but whoever at Netflix is listening to our podcast and thinks we're picking great topics, thank you. Yeah, I spent six years in Hollywood trying to have you guys listen to me at all, and no one took any notice of what <laughs> I was doing or writing. Uh huh. Um, no. All right. Should we get on with Let's what we're doing today? Let's get on with our topic. So today we had an interesting one, which is we sat down. We don't usually kind of run topics by each other because we want to know in when we tell each other the things in the room, we want it like to be fresh new. reactions. Yeah, fresh reactions, new information. But as I sat down, I said, so this is weird, but I found someone I wanted to do. And then through that research, I found other people I wanted to do, and there wasn't enough to do a whole episode on them. So I just kind of jotted down notes. And Adam said, oh, I kind of did the same. And then we compared notes. And we all found the same people. So we're going to do a slightly different format than normal, which is we're each going to present the people that we did Proper, yeah, research, proper on, research on, um, which interestingly have basically got the same name, but they are two different people. We realized after a yeah, momentary from two panic, different countries, I think. Yes, after <laughs> a momentary panic, we did realize they're two different people. Um, and then we're going to have like a little discussion about some of the weirder ones that we I found, have found, found, yeah, on the other end, who happen to be primarily the same people, I think. Yes, yes, because uh, and here we go on my sources. I think we both read the same mental floss, yeah. uh, 15 weird ass sense. <laughs> I that was not the title the of it. Cracked article, eight most bizarre patron yeah. saints. Yeah, 
uh, all of which ripped from each other, and now we're going to rip from them. Gotcha, guys. Um, I also found out information from Wikipedia, because they really do do a great job most of the time, but you do have to double-check your sources. And so I double-checked my sources with Catholic News Agency, who I have no idea whether they're a good source to have double-checked with. <laughs> I'm sure they're not biased at I'm all. sure they have <laughs> absolutely done their own. <laughs> Independently reviewed Independent, peer research. Yes. Uh, but no, I got information from Catholic News Agency, um, and I am going to talk about St. Bernardino of Siena, um, also known as St. Bernard or St. Bernardine, um, or various other things. But since we would don't want to confuse him with Adam Saint, who, Saint Bernard. who is St. Bernard, I'm going to try and refer to him as Bernardino throughout what we're talking about, kind of differentiate. Um, and he is, the reason I picked him is actually because he was like a genius at marketing. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what the basic little blurb about him was like in the okay. article, I think. Yeah. Like he was a PR agent, basically. He was. And I thought that was really interesting because let's face it, one thing that we all know that the Catholic and religion is really good at is PR. PR. <laughs> so when you are venerated as a saint for being really good at PR, you must be really good at you it. must be really good at PR. I'd love to be a patron saint of Personal yeah. Relations. yeah, I know. It's like a great okay. Um, other things just real quick that he is also a patron saint of um are uh hang on, I should have had that ready, but I thought I was gonna end with that, but it just seemed to come up. Okay, he is the patron saint of various things, including uh compulsive gambling, <laughs> uh communications, advertising, as well as problems involving the chest area. Like heart attacks? Well, I think it means like heart attacks. Yeah. But I think one of the other patron saints is also a patron saint of heart patron attacks. Patron saint of heart attacks. Just a chest area. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Do they? So I'm curious. I I didn't do a whole lot of research when it comes to like how saints become or not ordained, but um. How they pick their yeah. They don't pick their thing. No. How their thing is yeah. Because like mine was like very specific. Saint Saint Bernard has, is a very spe specific kind of saint. Yeah. He doesn't have like. He's not like the patron saint of ingrown toenails as well. Which we're going to come up with because I think if a lot of the ones that we're going to talk about at the end. weird, oddly specific or really vague descriptions of their saint. I have no idea how he became patron saint of the chest area. And it seems like maybe if they if he had like died of a heart attack, they may have just been like, he's the patron saint of chest pain. And I think one of the ones we're going to talk about... Um, uh, their guts were wound around something. Oh, like Erasmus, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah and and he, he, he's and still he... fatal to die, so that's why he's the patron saint of, like, irritable bounce syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that kind of, I mean... Just weird stuff. Kind of makes sense, but, yeah. I guess. But, no, so Bernardino, primarily patron saint of advertising communication. and communication. Um, the compulsive gambling um, we'll, we'll get to as to why he was... So, yes, there are some reasons as to why he was the patron saint of these things. Was he... Oh, so I, another thing I had read, and maybe this has something to do with it, maybe in some, like, of his, of like, St. Bernardino lore was that he had been tempted by gambling, and since he was able to sort of not fall to that temptation, that's how you sort of become the patron saint of things. I think it's either, like, yeah. you're really good at it, or you manage to sort of lead a sinless life. Well, we'll get into what he talked... We're going to get in... I'm going to go through his life... Mm -hmm how he was great, and then how in the current period he would be extremely problematic. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, as we do. Um, and part of that is his feelings on compulsive gamblers or gambling. Gatter's uh, um, prisons. Yeah, he was actually really into economics. Okay. So interestingly enough, the things that were good about him were his feelings on uh, scholastic economics. I don't know that you can have good feelings on scholastic economics, but he certainly was one of the first people to have feelings on it or have thoughts on it. First person I've ever heard of to have to have feelings on it. Have yeah. In or out, bud. Um. So, uh, okay. He there were from. A, I mean, one of the other interesting things about him. There's also, um. It, there's also a lot of stuff written about him. He died in 1444, um, and there were two biographies about him written the same year that he died by friends of his. Um, and then by the time, within four, within 30 years of his death, there were over a dozen accounts of his life. Okay. Um, and that's interesting because actually the reason why I didn't do any of the ones that we're going to briefly touch on was because there was almost no information mm, on them right. that was contemporary. Yeah. or, um, And I think that's a lot to do with the fact that he was this, like... Was he sainted after he died? Is that how that works? Within, like, six days. Okay. Like, yeah. most people, it takes years. Okay. He was like, they have to die first. You can't be a, a saint living saint. Um, but he was like, the moment he passed, okay. it was like, oh, and here's his sainthood. Yeah. Um, but... Um, he, he, you know, a lot of these people we read about were um, hermits. Mm. For some reason, being a hermit helps with your sainthood chances. Yeah. Um, I think St. Bernard lived in a cave. A uh, maybe <laughs> um, at least one of these ones we're going to talk about apparently lived by drinking deer milk in his oh, cave. Yeah, that was for really the, weird. Um, from his pet deer. Did not like that at all. Uh, so, you know, uh, apparently <laughs> usually... Mm -hmm. The reason you became a saint was you were super weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. This dude was not that. <laughs> okay. Um, and he didn't lead a weird life in the sense. I mean, honestly, from what I can figure out, he was essentially the Kanye West of of the Catholic Church. Of the Catholic Church. Okay. Wasn't Kanye West the Kanye West of the Catholic Church? Okay. He was. Uh, Kanye West means, Kate, means Kim Kardashian okay. of the Catholic so Church. So he's really popular. Really popular. Yeah. Um, real opinionated. Yeah, was he really rich as well? Well, yes. So okay. he was born to upper class parents in the Italian Republic of Siena in uh, 1380, probably. Um, and I'm going to read you the biography from the Catholic News Agency a bit more than the Wikipedia one, mainly because actually um, the Wikipedia one was laced with a lot of like... Uh, uh, bits of pieces as to how he became more problematic mm. but actually obviously when you're born you're not that's not like you can that's done with retrospect yeah um so he lost his mother at the age of three and his father by the time he was four um his aunt diana cared from him uh cared for him and was the one that gave him his like fervent religious mm -hmm. upbringing um he was always really concerned about the poor. Um, and he uh, would often go without food so that he could give it to other people. Um, he was between 11 and 17. He went to school like a normal kid, was very good at school, very gifted at... Things. Things. Mathematics. Like, uh, he just sounds like a really good kid. Yeah. Like, 
uh, I mean, for 1350, uh, 1390. Yeah, giving food to poor people. He was giving food to poor people. He went to school. He was doing the things that you're supposed to yeah. do as a 17-year-old. Um, once uh, during the – so after he finished school, he administered he, – joined a religious association serving at a hospital in the town of Siena in Scala um, and set himself to work uh, ministering to the sick and dying as being like a doctor and a healer. Um, a severe plague broke out at that point in Siena and he took charge of an entire hospital and inside its walls up to 20 people a day were dying from plague and killing the hospital workers. Um which um, and he persuaded twelve young men to help him continue the work of the hospital, um, and although he did not catch plague, he the he was consistently exhausted, caught sicknesses. One one point was in bed for four months mm. and kept running this hospital. Um, his then his aunt got sick, so he cared for her for about a year before she died. So at twenty two, yeah. He had done basically a, done a <laughs> basically done anything that in normal life would make your friends and family think you're pretty much a saint anyway. Yeah. Um, he'd run a hospital, lost the three most important people in his life, cared for the sick and dying, yeah. um, completed school. Yeah. So 22. Um, he moved to a small house outside the city of uh, Siena. Um, and in... 1403, he joined the Franciscans of the Strict Observance, which um, embraced an austere life fo focusing on poverty and humility. So each of these different orders had different things that some it was about fasting, some it was about silence. This one very specifically was like having nothing, mm -hmm. austerity. Yeah. Um, and this is the first time that he spoke to Christ directly. Oh. Um, Christ said to him, my son, behold me hanging upon a cross. And if you love me or desire to in, inti intimate me. Imitate? Yeah, that's or the word I meant. Or no, uh, imitate. imitate. Okay. That was the word I meant. <laughs> Be also fastened naked to your cross and follow me. Thus you will surely find me. I don't know what that means. <laughs> you just give all, give all your stuff away and like sacrifice yourself for um, the common good. I don't know what that means. It's a big ask for like a 23-year-old. Yeah, but he'd done a lot. Um, so, He's like, I'm, I'm old at this point. So uh, he decided he wanted to be a preacher. He was going to start preaching sermons. Um, here's a really exciting thing. Even to the strict Franciscan nuns, he was considered religious. Wow. So really religious. Like. Like extremely. Like extremely religious. Um, and he... Uh, started preaching um, and he would con other priests came to him and consult him for advice because he was so pious um, he used to give them a simple rule in all your actions seek in the first place the kingdom of God and its glory direct all you do purely to his honor and persevere in brotherly charity and practice all that you have to teach others this means the Holy Spirit will be your master and will give you such wisdom and such a tongue that no adversary will be able to stand against you yeah. So he was a big believer in talking. 
Yes. Which obviously we hate. Or else talking stupid. Talking stupid. There's no like, reason to communicate. No. Um, so he was a big believer in, <laughs> in, uh, in talking. Um, so let me go into a little bit more. Before him, most preachers either read a prepared speech or recited a rhetorical oration. Um, instead of remaining cloistered, and preaching only during while he was at the pulpit, essentially. Mm. Um, he preached directly to the public. And for more than 30 years, he preached all over Italy. Um, and actually was considered as being uh, a cornerstone of the religious re revival of the early 15th century. Okay. So at that point, people had started turning away from religion. Um, he was supposed to be one of the greatest preachers. He was had a weak and hoarse voice from his sickness sicknesses. Um, but he was elegant and captivating preacher his use of popular imagery and creative language drew large crowds to hear his reflections invitations were often extended by the civil authorities rather than the ecclesiastical ecclesiastical there we go god i'm tired today in my head <laughs> that's a messed up word yeah as sometimes the towns would make money from the crowds that actually uh... came to hear him so he would like Travel from place to place, never staying in any place for more than like a week or two. Mm. As he would, and he would walk between the towns. And as he would walk, word would get out that he was there, and he'd go to the marketplace. Hundreds of people, thousands of people from all the surrounding towns, mm -hmm. would come into the towns and listen to him talk. Um, and he would get up on the pulpit, usually in the middle of the marketplace, hence all bringing the money mm -hmm. to the town. Um, and he would talk to them. Uh, he wouldn't directly read from the Bible. So that was like one of his major, I guess, things like differences and yeah. why he was so interesting to them is that he would um, he like ad lib all of his. Yeah, he draw. No, actually, he didn't ad lib. I think we'll get to it. But there was one thing where he did 40 drafts of one of his speeches one day. No, it wasn't ad libbed, but mm -hmm. it was drawing on the ordinary lives of people okay. versus like. Yeah. Like he really. Uh, like I said. We'll go into why what he was saying was not super great. Is not super great as we look at it now, mm -hmm. but back then what he was saying was radical, and he was actually talking to the person stood in front of him. He wasn't assuming that they were stupid, and I think there was a tendency to preach above the heads of yeah, people. Yeah, that's the thing I that I had learned about. I learned about saints as well is that they're yeah. supposed to be like approachable. Yeah. Conduits of, of yeah. God. And he was definitely one of those people he would preach to the person mm -hmm. and and kind of, I don't know. Yep. Revolutionary. I mean, so he'd usually preach at dawn. Okay. Which was, I guess, a thing. Um, it's the nicest time of day. I don't know. It's a thing. But it would often be standing room and people would arrive hours behind him before he started. His sermons would last three or four hours. Oh. Um. And, like, he was, I will say there's a note here, uh, he wasn't always so popular. Someone did saw the legs off one of his pulpits for him, <laughs> causing him to fall into the crowd. But like generally... When they, like when they threw the shoe at George Bush's head. Yeah, generally, I didn't find much, even though I read the Catholic thing, yes, but I went then to Wikipedia, which mm -hmm. is known for being much more woke in that sense. I didn't find a lot of like negative contemporary stuff about him. Yeah. Generally he was considered pretty awesome. Yeah. Okay. So he was especially known for his devotion to the holy name of Jesus. And that is written in the holy name of Jesus or capitalized. So I think it must be a, oh, like a an organization. Okay. Um, 
which was previously associated with John of Versailles and the Dominican order. Um, and Bern uh, Bernardino actually devised a new symbol, IHS, the first three letters of the name of Jesus in Greek, mm -hmm. into Gothic letters and put them on a blazing sun. Ooh. Um, and it was actually like an insignia. Um, and the symbol began appearing in churches, homes, public buildings. Um, and it says here, although opponents thought it was a dangerous innovation, he used the devotion to calm strife-torn cities, reconcile feuds, and fractionalization. Um, so it was like, he really did, like, it was a cult. He set up his own cult. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're basically talking about yeah. here. It was a based on the Catholicism, but really what he did was he had a symbol. He was, it was him. He was a lone figure. Mm -hmm. I think it had all the makings of a, Jer uh, of a Jerry cult. Jones or, yeah. Oh, the there's cult. the symbol. It's kind of cool, but it is very, yeah. cult. it is very culty. No, it's very culty. Everything he did was quite culty. Patient's saying of breathing problems as well. Well, but chest problems. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Upper respiratory right. issues. And I think maybe well, I, because I mean, of the plague. Or maybe because he, was, cause he, he was had. Sick. Yeah, maybe. Well, there we go. Maybe because he had his own. We figured out Catholicism, everybody. We, we got it. it. We're geniuses. Yeah, I don't know why you all go to church for so. <laughs> oh, no, it's not church. Where do you go to? Mass? No, there's something that people go to where they learn about this stuff. Uh, um, when they get. Seminary school, where yeah. you go into like seminary. When you right? learn about the saints specifically? Yeah, don't you? Isn't there a degree oh. where you actually. Theology, but like. But more specific? More specific. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway. Um, so anyway, as you can imagine, as you start to gain all this power, which was what he was essentially doing, mm -hmm. um, and setting up his own symbol and the cult of personality that was the Saint Bandino, he did have some naysayers. Okay. Um, and in 1426, he was summoned to Rome to stand trials, stand trial on charges of heresy. Um for his promotion for himself, for his promotion of this devotion to the holy name of Jesus. Um, lots of theologians gave their opinions, um, but he was found innocent of heresy. He also impressed the Pope so much that he was asked to preach in Rome in the Vatican. Mm. He preached every day for 80 days. Um, his zeal was such that he would prepare up to four drafts of a sermon before speaking. Um, he... Uh, was offered lots of positions of um, importance. Importance. He was Within asked to the... be a bishop four times, and he kept saying no because okay. he liked to be out preaching, not and spreading the word of his cult. And... Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> he liked to be out preaching. Um, so now, uh, anyway, uh, and then he died. Um, wow, just like that. Well, no, we'll get into <laughs> that. But I figured now's a good time to actually tell you what he was saying. Mm. Um, so he. His sermons primarily spoke out about gambling, which annoyed a lot of people at that point because actually gambling was one of the main forms of entertainment. Okay. Um, card games, things in, like that. In Italy specifically or just in the world? Just in the world okay. at that point. Like, I mean, it's not like you were going to put on Netflix. By the way, Netflix, if you want to, respond, <laughs> if you want to sponsor the podcast, feel free. Please, please, please. Uh, but um, it's not like you're putting on Netflix. Right. So in the evening, you'd sit around and play cards, play cards which is gambling. Yeah. Even if it wasn't like going into a casino and pulling a slot machine. Right. Um, so he preached austerity. 
Um, and it was like very, he was very, very much against materialism. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes at his sermon sites, people threw mirrors, high heeled shoes, perfumes, at him locks just... of false hair, no onto a fireplace. Oh. Onto a, uh, well, they threw it into a big pile, cards, it. dice, chessmen, other frivolities, um, and then they burnt it. Wow. Um, he implored his listeners to abstain from blasphemy and decent conversation and to observe feast days. Okay. So that's all not that problematic. I was going to say this sounds very uh, preaching austerity and and, and uh, not living a frivolous lifestyle no. is not necessarily the worst thing you could be telling. Absolutely someone. not. Like it's not it's not crazy, although, you know. God, seriously, they burnt all their heels. Yeah, and their fake hair. And their fake hair. <laughs> um, locks of fake hair. Yeah. So they, like, cut it and then put it on the... Why not just... Take the wig off? Yeah, just burn the wig. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, so he had two major... So he... Okay, let's go back to his actual economic stuff. Yeah. His greatest contribution to economics was the discussion and defense of the entrepreneur. So he actually wrote um, a book called On Contracts and Eurocy. Mm-hmm. Um which was written somewhere in 1931, which dealt with the justification of private property, the ethics of trade, the determination of value and price, and the usury question, usury question, which I'll get into in a minute. It's the first time I've heard of it, yeah. and I have like A-levels and degrees in economics. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> whoops. Um, so he had a whole thing about the business entrepreneur, which he actually thought was a useful social function. And he should thought that trade and trans- transporting, distribution, manufacturing goods was a really useful thing. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a big defense about it, um, which I guess was a fairly unusual thought at the time. He also applied this theory to the idea of a just wage, which determined the wage by the demand for the labor and the availability of supply, which is one of the basic economic principles, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I guess he was one of the first people to really write mm. this down, this idea of like supply and demand. Supply and demand. And then you get paid for, for your, your, your demand. Yeah. So the wage inequality is a function of differences between skills, ability, and training. Mm-hmm. So skilled workers are scarcer and therefore they get paid more. Mm-hmm. Um, and unskilled workers are in, not in demand. Yeah. So um, that. Yeah. He just was one of the first people to kind of like. Be an economist. Yeah, write that down, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I like I said, it, 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 it's like one of those things that seems obvious once you hear someone write it, to anyone that's ever read yeah. anything to do with economics. Seems obvious, but perhaps if it's thirteen hundred and no one's bothered to write it down yet, it's yeah. perhaps a revolutionary mm. thing for somebody to read or, yeah, or start hear. to understand. Yeah. Um, there were a few um, people, Anselm of Canterbury and Thomas Aquitanus. Oh, yeah. Um, who had gone down this road beforehand. Aquinas, right. I don't know. But he'd gone down this road beforehand, but he was like also one of the pioneering people in this. Mm. One of his big things was Eurasy, mm-hmm. which is the practice of defining a, a charging an interest on a loan. Okay. So basically... A loan. It's a loan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was really against this. Um, it was to do partly on based on Roman law, um, which had um, – it was to do partly based on Roman law. That's why he was against it or uh, – No, just kind of his principles of it, his okay. analysis of it was partly based on that. And uh, interest on delayed payment was deemed valid because you were – 
So kind of balloon loan? Yeah, so he worked on the principle that if you didn't pay your loan, then it was okay to charge mm. people because they were expecting that money back. Yeah. But that you shouldn't loan money out if you're going to charge them an interest on it. Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. Um, and he thought it as concentrating all the money in this, of the city into a few hands. Napoli's. Um, yeah. Um, however, he did accept. It's called Lucrum Sassayasin. Which is, I believe you. Uh, to compensate for properties foregone in lieu of capital investment. Okay. Um, so, uh, and then he also had another distinction drawn up for joint ventures. He's really into. Uh, really into his economics. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, so that was his uh, economic stuff, which I don't think. I mean, it's economic theory. I don't think you can have a particular feeling either way about it. Yeah, I mean, you could probably, people would, I would in this day and age probably make an argument that the uh, the, the, the the payment for supply and demand based, because people now make the argument for uh, like universal living wage. Yeah. And he probably would not have, have agreed made, with that. Yes. So I think it's definitely not something that everyone would agree with. No, but it's all but very... compared to what I'm about to tell you, probably not as inflammatory <laughs> yeah. as some of the other stuff. Um, so was this stuff that you're about to tell us now, was that inflammatory even while he was saying it, or is it just stuff that sort of come <laughs> up in the contemporary? Some of this was inflammatory for the exact opposite reason, because oh. he was actually considered quite radical in his views on women. Ah. So, um, which was kind of interesting. I actually read the thing on women. So he's, he's unwoke with the women, not necessarily with his economics, or is it? A, or is it economics as he's, related to women that he's unwoke with, or is it both? <laughs> okay, so now, yeah, he would be considered anti-Semitic, yeah, uh, against sodomy and homosexuality, yeah. um, against women. Those were the major ones. Yeah. Um, but back then, yeah, he, uh his feelings on women were considered actually quite forward thinking. Okay. Like too, too forward thinking. Not super too forward thinking. For the time. <laughs> but like at least, because we, we've got to remember, we talk about this quite a lot, putting stuff in historical context yeah. of when they were talking. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to real slam him on the hom homosexuality <laughs> and somatic thing. So I'm just going to go on the one that was, if we put it into the historical context, at least he was... He was in. He was. In he the was trying. 1800s. Yeah. yeah. So, um, a historian called Franco Mormadano um, has says that he had a lot to say about women, um, and two women very specifically. Oh. Um, and at the end of his exhaustive study, Bernardino of Siena, great defender or merciless betrayer of women. Um, he concludes that despite his sincere moments of greater empathy with women, Bernardino pro proves to be very much in the mainstreams of writing of women at the time, although his compassion uh, for women and women's domestic and social cage, he wanted it to be as comfortable and humane as possible. He wanted to keep them in a cage. But a nice But a comfortable cage. cage. Um, That's nice. Uh, he wanted her to remain in the cage under the guard of father, brother, husband, or parish priest. Um, and he talked a lot to married women, unmarried women, widowed married, widowed women, and those in close to nunneries. So he was, he, he addressed all different things. Um, he thought the Virgin Mary was phenomenal, but he's Catholic, so like... He has to. That's not surprising. And he advised girls never to talk to a man unless one of their parents was present. <laughs> 
Um, is that because they don't trust the women or the men? I don't know, but I also think that that was perhaps not a very radical view. No. Like at that don't point, don't talk like, to strangers. Don't talk to strange <laughs> men without having someone around. Young girl, uh, like actually, honestly, possibly young female girls around here don't talk to strange men. Mm. Just don't do it. You don't need to. Yeah. Um, but he did do a couple of good things. One, he cautioned women about marrying men who cared more for their dowries than them. Oh. Which yeah. is a, That's a, a good thing. Yeah. And on at least one occasion, he asked mothers uh, to come to church with their daughters alone so that he could talk to them directly mm-hmm. about uh, sexual abuse and marriage. Interesting. Now... And what do we? I'm assuming that you don't have to suffer abuse at the start. Like, I'm assuming it's part of this nice, comfortable cage thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because you're in this cage does not mean that you need to be. Yeah, but you're in the cage still. And the fact that the word sexual abuse in marriage has come out the words like in the 1400s. In the 1400s, where sexual abuse in marriage was just considered marriage. Yeah, like that's pretty woke. Yeah. Yeah, um, but he did think women should live in cages. I, he thought that the woman's place was in the home and in his yeah. mother and mother, sister, mother, daughter, sister, daughter, yeah. whatever. He didn't think that you were your own person in your own right. Yeah, but he did have some. I mean, some decent ideas. Yeah, he spoke against confining co- girls to convent, uh, convents against their will. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Yeah, um, and so he he did have some really like. Some ideas. Some ideas that were fine, although he did emphasize um, uh, Mary's obedience to her husband, Joseph, and various other stuff. But also he emphasized that Mary and Joseph had a good marriage together and it was a one of, St. Joseph was one of, you know. So he his his idea was, of course, that as, of course, that as a woman you were subject to your man. Yeah. Whoever that might be in whatever mm-hmm. period of your life. Um, but that the man should not take advantage of that or ever make you feel uh, confined. Okay. Um, so uh, on women, there is certainly an argument that while he was coming at it from a 14th century way, mm-hmm. he was definitely not coming at it from a 13th century way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> what a progressive saint. Um, I know. Okay, so now, so, okay, that's the good thing. All right. He talked a lot about how bad sodomy and homosexuality were. Um, And the Jews, apparently. We'll get to them. (laughs) He reminded people constantly that, um, in a good way, that gay men were going to be quartered and limbs hung from city gates, um, that you'd be burned if you were found guilty of sodomy, um, that he liked the fact that in Venice a sodomite had been tied to a column along with a barrel of pitch and brushwood and set in fire. Um, and he urged the people of Siena to do the same. Oh, okay. In 1424, he dedicated three consecutive sermons in Florence to the subject. Um, he admonished his hearers, whenever you hear sodomy mentioned, each and every one of you spit on the ground and clean your mouth out as well. Oh my God. If they don't want to change their ways by any means, maybe they will need to change when they're made fools of. Spit harder. Maybe the water of your spit will extinguish their fire. So spit on gay people? Uh, 
I think Burn Them Alive was maybe where he was going with more. Well, that's not cool. Um, his biggest reason was that sodomy was the reason why they've lost half their population over 25 years. Because it Florence? wasn't. I think in Florence, because it wasn't, it was unproductive in. In being baby making. In baby making. Um, uh, he he was hoping that it would dispel indifference and uh, over the controlling sodomy and homosexuality. So I'm guessing at this point that, well, Venice was fairly famous for being quite liberal, right? Mm, I, th- I don't know. I don't know. It does he certainly sound... seem to think that there was an issue specifically in that area of Italy. Yes, it does sound like perhaps people were more okay with the gay thing than... Yeah. So then he went even further and he attributed every unpredictable or calamitous, calamitous event in human experience to sodomy, including floods and plague, as well as listening to the practice, as well as to the practice of population decline and... Um, he recommended that people in Siena beat sodomites to death with clubs. Oh, <laughs> no, that's not great. No, I don't like that very much. So, hmm. yeah. Anyway, let's get on to how anti-Semitic he was. <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, it goes without saying that obviously. Uh, well, I was about to say it goes without saying that obviously that wouldn't be acceptable today. Yeah. But actually, he kind of sounds like Alex Jones. Because <laughs> if you're attributing... We do call Alex Jones acceptable on this podcast. <laughs> if you're attributing floods and plague to sodomy... Yeah. Mm. Okay. He is particularly regarded today as being a major protagonist of Christian anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Um, which if you're a... Ma- if you are one of the major figures of that in this period... Yeah. Yeah, anti anti Semitism was not a, you know an uncommon practice in the yeah. 1300s, especially among Catholics. Um, a lot of this comes back to his economic views, uh. which is that he thought that the Jewish communities, which were primarily responsible for lending of money, uh-huh. because they had the money, because they had the money, um, was one of the major reasons why there was this economic disparity. Um, and he called for Jews to be banished and isolated from their wider communities, which led them to segregation within towns. Um, his words often used reinf- were used to reinforce actions against Jews, um, and particularly within towns when he came, mm-hmm. there was a huge sense of resentment in the Jewish populations in those towns. Um, uh, you know... Um, I mean, not really anything else needs to be said on that other than uh, he kind of uh, sodomy and he, sodomy and he and Jewish people were due to be burnt and beaten, and he was really okay with that. So let's figure out how this lovely man became a saint. Um, <laughs> so reports of miracles were attributed to him uh, rapidly after his death, and he was canonized as a saint six days later after his death by Pope Nicholas V. Um his saint day is the 20th of May, day before Ben's birthday, oh. um, which was the day of his death. Um, interestingly, and totally nothing to do with uh, anything we've talked about, um, his is the one of the first uh, saints to have an indisputably authentic portrait in art. Really? 
Yeah. Um, because uh, this was when uh, realistic portraiture as a distinct genre was becoming a thing. Hmm. So this is Michelangelo as they started to actually paint people as they looked right. as opposed to kind of those much more stylized like early medieval yeah, 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 yeah. paintings that you're thinking of. Um, so, uh, yeah. So pictures of him. Are realistic. Paintings of him. Are what he would have looked like. Are probably what he would have looked like. And he is one of the first people to have that distinction, I guess. Interesting. That we know. Um, Some historical relevance there, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, they often represented him as small as an, an um, emaciated. <laughs> um, uh, which they say is probably our contemporary reports say that the sicknesses he suffered and the trials that he put his body through early in his developmental stage yeah. um, probably affected, his, affected yeah. him. Um, and uh, yeah, so he is... Um, Good and bad. Good and awful. Yeah. Uh, his cult spread to England in an early, quite quickly and early as well. His cult spread to England. Um, says um, and Is it still a thing? Like, how long did it sort of stick around in England? Is that... Observant Friars is the sect of his cult that was set up. I like that. I like the name. I don't like the idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's him. Oh, very cool. And I was very stoked on him for a while, and then I there was, was a whole lot of good stuff. Not stoked on him. Yeah, but if you put him in his time, I know. But if you brought him into the twenty first century, if you brought him back to life, he still would suck. <laughs> yeah, if he had the same. But I also think that his his. Uh, I think he was really into being popular. Mm, reading between the lines. Yeah, obviously, because we don't know this. Because we don't know this person, but reading between the lines, I think he really enjoyed. I think he would have been more likely to have been. A Justin Bieber, ah, uh, like a pop, like pop star. this was what? Yeah, I mean, yeah. this was as close to a pop star as you could right, be. Yeah, um, immensely popular, going out, huge audience, huge audiences yeah. on tour. Maybe you're right. Maybe even if he had held those, if he still held those beliefs, he would lie. <laughs> or, yeah, or, or fabricate some some but I, different. I think generally he was a. He just wanted people to. He like was him. a pop star of his. Yeah. You know, he came up with his own symbol. He had, it was like Prince. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah. He, you know, he toured. He had his fans. He, I, he did eventually accept a vicarship, which did stop him from preaching quite so mm -hmm. much. Um, and he died in 1944. 1944? 1844. <laughs> wow. He lived for 500, 500 years. years. <laughs> um, and that's why he's a saint. Uh, he... He died in 1444. Um, he, uh, they said that there was no part of Italy which had not heard his voice. Hmm. Um, according to tradition, his grave continued to leak blood until two fractions of his, the city achieved reconciliation. In, oh. Um, I don't know. Um, story. He, uh, and and I guess just to finish off, um, it. it his uh, sermons were actually printed in like 1500. Mm. So okay. uh, they were one of the earlier kind of printed things. So by far, did his like, it wasn't like in 1944, he died in 1444. Gosh, <laughs> and it wasn't like in 1444, he died and his legacy just 
died with him. Yeah. Um, his uh, fiery preaching and moralizing temperament um, did uh, actually meant that he was brought up time and time again as justification for stuff yeah. as they went into the more. That's unusual, right? For 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 saints is is to be as sort of well known. Yeah. As he yes. Was. Um, to be as popular, to be, I mean, because yeah, my saint is not nearly that popular. No, I'm still concerned that we've done the same saint. <laughs> Mainly because as I finished reading this, and I must have read this and just skipped over it because it wasn't interesting to me, but there's a mountain pass in the Alps. It's, that's named after this one. Oh, it says it's named after this one. Really? There might, well, I mean, there are several passes in the Alps. Paso di San Bernardino. So the the pass in the Alps is named after this one. Is called what? Is the okay. So. Because Adam said mine went through the Alps and there's a pass. And I said, oh, mine never went through Which the Alps. Alps. Do you remember? It says the mountain. I honestly. Because the just, Alps go through like all over Europe. I just there. skipped over it. Um, this is the great St. Bernard Pass. It's in Switzerland. Il Paso di San Bernardino. Uh, nope. Uh, yeah. Is named in honor of the saint whose fame reached, well, into northern Italy and into southern Switzerland. Oh, well, then there are. This is the great. This is the great. When was he born? Yours. 1080. Okay. <laughs> He's much, much older. Past. <laughs> he was yeah. much older. I'm assuming that there are lots of passes. So there's a couple of passes. Um, yeah, don't get them after, mixed up. They're named after um, saints. So was your saint a horrific anti Semite? No. Uh, so, no. And I will talk about him now. So Let's do it. I was curious about functions of saints. Um, I was fairly certain that I had the general idea, but I wanted to sort of <laughs> see what what like a okay. professional would say about it. Uh, so this what a professional saint. Professional what, saint in a, knower. What's in a saint's job description? Yeah, yeah, well, kind of. That's exactly what I wanted to look at. And this information comes from york.ac.uk. It seemed fairly reputable. Um, and like I, I mentioned, I think earlier, is that uh, saints sort of become saints because they offer like stories of resistance. Um, yeah. Like... Bernardino, who was like, uh, don't gamble, everyone burn your gambling stuff. And so he became And burn page, everything else, become the page, including your homosexuals and your Jews. And your, and your fake hair. <laughs> and your fake your hair. Your Jews and the homosexuals are as bad as fake hair in chess. Yeah. Um, but th so that's sort of where he gets his sainthood for the... Mm -hmm. and, and the fact that he survived a, what sounds like horrible pneumonia and bronchitis, he sort of became yeah, the patron okay. saint of chest infections or whatever. Uh, they're sort of, yeah, the article... Describe them as approachable intercessors to God, which again, Bernardino sounds very much like. Yeah. And uh, Bernard certainly was as well. Their stories tend to focus around pilgrimage, again, and contemplation, which is when you say they live sort of secluded monk like life. That's what I mean. He's actually quite different, I think, yes. than a lot of the saints I read. Yes. Because most of the saints I read about were just weird hermits. Weird hermits. Yeah. But he did live a life of contemplation, and uh, he was obviously thinking quite heavily about his ideas on economics and, mm -hmm. and, and Jewish people. I don't think it was a quiet life of contemplation. No, it, it was sounds not. like a it, loud it and a very involved. Yeah. I wrote these notes a month ago, so I don't remember what I was writing. And I'm not going to mark and edit that because <laughs> it's very valid. <laughs> um, so I, so my saints is St. Bernard of Menth. Menthon. It's, okay. I believe it's a French word because he was born in the south of France. Okay. Um, but I am noticing when I look through these things, occasionally they're written from like an Italian perspective yeah. or like a Swiss or French. So the word occasionally yeah. changes based on the region 
from which I'm reading the article. Um, but he's the patron saint of outdoor sports. Ah, uh, very good one for yeah. you. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, he was born at the Chateau de Menthon in 1020 to a noble family. Um, there aren't many stories about him because he was sort of forever ago, like nearly a thousand yeah. years. Well, exactly a thousand years ago <laughs> when he was born. Um, he was born into a noble family and he had a really thorough education in France because he was born into a high yeah. status. Uh, he was lined, this is a kind of a funny story. He was lined up to marry a woman um, that his father had arranged for him to marry and he didn't want to marry her because he wanted to live a life of the cloth and those two things don't, it's a big no-no. We all know that your religious beliefs are directly tied to whether you have a ring on your finger <laughs> yes, or not. exactly, exactly. Uh, and so he was so adamant that he wouldn't marry this one that he jumped out of uh, a window uh, 40 feet above the ground in the castle that he was living in and angels caught him as he was falling and gently lowered him to the ground so he could escape this woman who he didn't want to marry. <laughs> It's a good thing the angels are there because I believe committing suicide, big no-no oh, in the that's, Catholic uh, faith. That's straight to hell. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole chapter in the purgatory about yep, that, yep. in the inferno. Good the, good that the angels were yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So after he fled this this marriage, he met a poor a, woman. Yeah, honestly. Poor woman, that you're so vile that angels will help your fiance <laughs> I escape. Think, I think it could have been anybody and he wouldn't have married okay. them. I think he was just so committed to God. He was married to God and, well, no, he wasn't married to God because then that would be burned at the stake <laughs> for that. Because um, my one would have yes, a real issue. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so he leaves France yep. and he meets Peter, the Archdeacon of Aosta. Okay. A-O-S-T-A. Okay. Aosta. Uh, and he um, is ordained with Peter and he works um, as a mountain missionary in the Swiss Alps. Cool. Uh, where he worked really hard and eventually became promoted to archdeacon. And he worked as an archdeacon for 42 years. And he basically built these hostels along the passes in Switzerland because they were very common traveling routes in between Rome and other For the pilgrims the or just anybody? Pilgrims mostly. But, yeah. but like people were participating in outdoor sports at this point as That's well. That's so weird. Yeah. Like, I mean, mountaineering isn't like a, a very new... Uh, no, but it's still really venture. weird to me. I would not have thought. I mean, obviously they weren't doing like luge, no, but like, like hiking and walking. And but stuff. I yeah. wouldn't. I've just and never thought of these people having free time during the day. <laughs> well, no, but like pilgrimage obviously is just like what hiking has yeah. become now that people yeah. have free time and can call it something that isn't religiously yeah. like oriented. Um, so yeah, as an archdeacon, he founded the St. Bernard Pass in the Pyrenees Alps, or sorry, the Pennine Alps, which okay. um, Ben and I saw the Pennines when we were yeah. hiking uh, Hadrian's Wall, uh, where it would occasionally snow seven or eight feet. Uh, uh, the highest r ever recorded amount of snowfall there was 40 feet. Wow. A 40 feet of snow, which is- In all, like one snow? Uh, I think it might've been a season. Okay. Or like, or it was once one really crazy snow, because the Alps are insane mountains. I mean, I'm, don't, yeah, just, just seems like yeah. an insane amount of snow wherever you are. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but, yeah, they, they were common passages to Rome for French and German Catholics. Um, and so he wanted to obviously protect and give them refuge nice where they needed it. Um, so his the hostel, Bernard's Hostel, which I believe is a place you can still go and, cool. and visit, yeah. um, was at the highest point of the pass. And became I bet more, it's now on your bucket list. Yes, it is, actually. Because the Alps are just... I, I went to the Alps when I went to France last summer, yeah. and they were amazing. And they're so long and big and, like, new and beautiful. I love them. Um, became well-known for its generosity to travelers and for its search parties, which used St. Bernard dogs, which are named for St. Bernard. 
I had literally, you would have thought that I would have put that together, I, but I did not put I, that together I until that moment. while I was doing the research. <laughs> I did not put that together until that moment. Uh, so when people would show up, um, occasionally they would need food or new clothing yeah. and he would provide that or his, uh, the people who were working there, I guess they were, other, I think there were other monks he had working yeah. with him would, would offer food and clothing. And if you were unfortunately traveling with a dead body, they would also deal with that for you. Um, okay. They would do like the final rites and, and. I think, okay. I think burials and oh, stuff. Oh, like if they, if they died, died on, in route. I just thought people like wouldn't leave that. traveling with dead bodies. Oh, no, 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 no. I think it's like <laughs> you're, if you're traveling. I don't think you were walking from France to Rome dragging <laughs> a casket behind you. I'm assuming that these people died. Maybe they were. But I'm assuming that these people died in route. That's not funny. And, and they didn't want to leave them on the mountain because... That yeah, it's also would, mean. Because it would be mean, uh, probably against the religious code of conduct. And also, you don't want someone else finding, like, your dead grandma <laughs> on the path from France to Rome. <laughs> That's no, not funny. Just do that up Everest instead. <laughs> um, so he wasn't canonized until 1681. He died in 1081 at the age, the ripe old age of 61 wow. years old. And he wasn't canonized until 1681, so 600 years after he died. Yeah, you see, that's so much more normal, I think. Yeah, and I don't know what the, like, application process is. <laughs> like, does someone have to suggest you? Yeah. And, okay. and Because I, I remember that, like, someone got made a saint, like, Joan of Arc or someone got made a saint relatively recent, recently. I think you talked about it in our Joan of Arc episode. Like, there's been a couple of, like, a Mother Teresa I know. Was sainted. Did she get sainted or has she not been sainted yet? And that's yet? the drama? I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, and his feast day is May 28th. Okay. How do you, do you only celebrate a saint's feast day if you're, what is it called? When you get confirmed as a Catholic and you like choose a patron saint. It depends on how, uh, I mean, it depends, depends on, on how, how Catholic, Catholic you are. Because it sounds like you could be doing a feast day every day of the year for how many saints there are. Oh yeah, absolutely you could. I don't think there's a single day that doesn't have I a might, feast I'm day. I'm going to start celebrating I think St. Bernard's Feast Day. I kinda, That's fine. I kind of like him. And we'll celebrate some... Actually, we don't like St. <laughs> no, Bernardo. I don't think we... I don't well, think we'll we... do Ben's birthday on the 21st, yeah. our wedding anniversary on the 23rd, and then St. Bernard's Feast Day. Those things are all the on same. On the 28th. Those things are all the same. So I have... And these... This is... I'm fairly certain I have correct. Okay. Is that he was canonized in 1681. Okay. Which means he's put into canon, but that doesn't mean he's a saint yet, I think. Because I think he was then confirmed as the patron saint of the Alps in 1923. Okay. So again, another 300 years later until he was confirmed. Hmm. Uh, so relatively relatively recently, actually, and more specifically, uh, the patron saint of ski, skiers, snowboarders. Um, she is, uh, Mother Teresa is canonized. Oh, wonderful. And she was canonized in 2016. Wow, that was recent. Um, I knew that one of them, uh, and she actually died in 1997. Okay. So... So it it took, still took a while for her. Like so the six-day canonization is nuts. Yeah, it's incredibly popular. Yeah. But I wonder if people would have, like, rioted if they hadn't canonized him super early. I don't know. I just, I really get cult. Or I just, I don't. I don't even get cult. I get, like, Justin Bieber. Just popular. I get just, like, yeah. pop star. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so, yeah, uh, St. Bernard is technically the patron saint of skiers, snowboarders, hikers, backpackers, and mountaineers. Okay. And the dogs are named after him. That's literally all the information I have on him as a saint. Cool. Um, yeah, the dogs are named after him. And I cool. have some facts about St. Bernard's now. <laughs> Do you have an original description of what they looked like when they were his named after him? I think him? they looked like what they do. They were like, they're big mountain dogs. Um, I know that, like, I think they used Burmese mountain dogs as well in... 
the Alps for for rescue. You know what a bird yeah. dog looks like? They're big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine is like like a breeder of like or one of my them. mom's my mom's best friend. One of my mom's best friends is one of the top breeders. Takes them to Crofts every year. Okay. They won. She just moved down here actually. Oh. Like literally like. Oh, no, they were just on the phone, I think, the other day. Probably. Um, they moved just around the corner, and they yeah. have, like, 12 of them living yeah. in their house. They're um, beautiful and if big. If anyone wants a Bernese <laughs> Mountain dog, <laughs> like, I can guarantee that if you have to buy a dog, which I never, ever advocate for, no. but if you do absolutely have to buy a dog, yeah. and you do absolutely want to buy one of the most inconvenient dogs... <laughs> That's the one to buy. I have a great breeder who looks <laughs> after them and does it very ethically. Um. So, yeah, they were bred for work uh, by the hospice of St. Bernard Pass. He actually... I think they had a breeder at the at his, oh, cool. his hostel pass. So it sounds like actually a pretty cool place to live. I'm all for him. Uh, yeah. You've you had a good one. <laughs> um, and they were bred there for between 1660 and 1670. They, okay. were, they were breeding dogs specifically for mountain rescue. Okay. Um, so after even after he died, it was about 600 years after he okay. died, They the hospice was still operating at his hostel, breeding dogs, saving people, mm-hmm. giving aid to... Uh, travelers. Okay. Uh, they are no longer used for mountain rescue, I think, because it puts them in too much danger. Okay. Um, and we can more effectively get to people with, like, helicopters. Okay. And so I think the advent of the helicopter sort of removes the need for, like, a dog. Yeah, well, sledge. that makes sense. Yeah, although um, I, I like the it, idea of if I'm going to get stuck, I want a really nice fluffy dog nice with a little dog. Nice thing, barrel of liquor. of liquor around its neck. Um, and there's a festival that we should go to. It's okay. the Little St. Bernard Pass Festival in, in the the village of Rossier Mont Valzan. Little St. Bernard Festival. I just want to see what the so kind there, of festival so is. So there are two passes named after St. Bernard, the Great St. Bernard Pass and the Little St. Bernard Pass. Oh, okay. Pass. Um, I just want to see what the festival looks like. Is there lots of dogs? I don't know if it's in France or if it's in Switzerland. I can't remember which one. St. Bernard Festival. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, lots of pretty pictures of St. Bernard's. I just wanted to know if it was a festival with lots of like St. Bernard's. specifically with St. Bernard's. Because I'm. that would be I, I th- awesome. I, I read it and I was like, this seems like a thing that we would all do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the One of the most famous St. Bernard's is Barry, the St. Bernard. Barry, the St. Bernard. Uh, and he was a mountain rescue dog in Switzerland. Surely Beethoven is the most famous, but St. <laughs> <laughs> Bernard. Let's just uh, no, be real clear. I wrote most famousest right here, so okay. he must be. So he must be, and yes. I'm wrong. Rollover <laughs> Beethoven is not the most famous. He um, he was out. I guess they just had them roaming around. Like, I guess you would send them out to like to to like look for people in trouble. Okay, they were sort of trained to like. Okay, I will say here's some early pictures of Saint Bernards on a postcard. Oh. They don't look like the current overbred St. Bernard's. They look like collies almost. They look like fluffier collies. They're actually quite... They're cute. Cute. Um, Where can we get one of those? I know. (laughs) Um, Early St. Bernard's. Yeah, because St. Bernard's now are like... Uh, They've got the droopy eyes, and I always worry about the stuff getting... Into them. Yeah. They have horrible respiratory problems, don't they? I don't know if they do, but the early ones look really cool. Look, here's some other early ones. Guys, for anyone who's not looked up early St. Bernard dogs, they do look like slightly chunkier, fluffier collies. They are shepherds. They look like Australian shepherds as well. Yeah, they just look like a working dog. Yeah, exactly. Um, So Barry found a young boy who had uh, been separated from his hiking group and wandered up the mountain by himself and had... Uh, collapsed and was freezing to death in a mm-hmm. cavern, and Barry licked him warm Aww. and then carried him back to the St. Bernard Hostel. Aww. Uh, 
and he was trained to um, to dig or warm the person where possible. So they were trained that if they found a person to either dig a hole and put them in it or like lay down and warm them up Mm -hmm. or to run back as if they couldn't do anything. So these dogs were smart enough to know that whether or not they could carry a person back to the hostel by themselves, which is really, really cool. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, if they're looking at them and they, you know, they're a working dog, they're a collie, of course they're going to be bright, but it's really cool that they understood their job. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm not sure when he died, but he, he, I think he's canonized in a way of like the small village. And I think that the festival might be like hit, like, in honor of Barry the St. Bernard. He's sort of like a Balto. Remember we talked about Balto yeah. the other day in, in the house? Um, he's just like one of those famous dogs who I don't think that there's a movie about, but there's a movie about Balto. There should surely be a movie about, about Barry. Barry the dog. Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> you want to hit us up for an animated okay. Barry the St. Bernard movie? I will say if the Barry the St. Bernard movie comes out, guys, somewhere out there. We know that someone. I know someone <laughs> out there is a producer and listening to our podcast. Someone is eking on our ideas. Yeah. Um, um, that's that, cool. That was, um, that was St. Bernard. He was a really, I, I'm sure he did some stuff that was a bit, cause he was, you know, 10 hundred, you know, I'm, I'm sure, but he didn't go around writing no, it down. No, he didn't. Um, so should we talk about some of the other ones that we found? Yes, we absolutely should. Okay. Oh, he also has a feast day on June 15th. Oh, so we can eat twice in honor of St. Yeah. Bernard. Yeah. So let's talk about some weird ones. All right. Um, we all, we found basically the same ones. Yeah, sounds, I think we did. It sounds like. So, um, so why did you pick Drogo? Uh, well, I didn't go too much into it, but I thought it was funny that he's the patron saint of the physically afflicted, which is like kind of a, an admirable thing, but it said more specifically unattractive people <laughs> in the article that I read. And that is because he himself... Was unattractive? Was unattractive. Okay. Uh, no, at 18, apparently he was... He became... Uh, a pilgrim got rid of all of stuff it is stuff and he became a pilgrim he traveled to Rome nine or ten times wow Um, what he could do and the reason why he's sainted is because he was able to bilocate which as it sounds means he was he was able to be in two places at once so people would see him tending his sheep Uh and in church at the same time interesting that can't be true at all (laughs) <laughs> this was his miracle. I'm not sure how unattractive was he. Okay, so this was before he became unattractive. Okay, um, was he like hit by a train or something? No, so no one says what happened. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, during a pilgrimage, he was stricken with an unsightly body affliction. It's very vague. That's as much information as I can find, um, and it was so bad that. All the townspeople were scared of him. Wow. And no one would go anywhere near him. So they put him in a cell. <laughs> Did they know who he was? What? They knew yeah. he was Drogo, right? Well, I mean, he was just some dude that pilgrimized at this point, some I guess. Long no, hair. No. Long hair. Um, so he stayed in his cell, which he was so religious that they attached to a church for him. Uh-huh. And he only had a small window where he was able to do the communion and have food. And he stayed in there for about 40 years, the rest oh of his God. life, <laughs> surviving only on barley, water, and the Holy Eucharist. Ugh. Yeah, so this is one of those things where... Um, he was also the patron saint of coffee. And yet cool. there is no, in- no... No mention of the coffee. No, there's no way, almost no way, that... A Flemish noble shot in a cage <laughs> had any access to coffee, which was at this point only drunk in Ethiopia. Um, so what, that's unusual. 
How do how do you get bad attribution? Okay, according to Wikipedia. Yep. So take this with a grain of salt. Um, maybe because of the whole being in two places at once and oh. having unlimited energy and all the pilgrimaging. Well, I, know there, I saw that there's a patron saint of the internet, and he was canonized like 800 years before the internet existed. So I think they can just can they just tack things on afterwards? I think that that I'm. I want to sit in. If there are any bishops or the uh-huh. Pope is listening to our podcast, um, get us in one of these canonization meetings. So while we were chatting, I did just quickly decide to look up uh, most recently canonized people. Uh-huh. And it, it looks like there's about a day once a year at the end of October where they announce all the canonizations. Is this of the when year. they burn the, 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 the black? No, that, no that's, that's, that's for the... announcing a new Pope. Okay. Um, Doesn't that also happen in October? No, it happens when a pope dies, whenever right, that is. Right, of course, yeah. Um, so sometimes in October. So I wasn't I, totally maybe wrong. Maybe someone died in October. <laughs> I'm right one out of um, 12 times. It seems earlier in his career as pope, um, if that's what it's called when you're pope, uh, tenure as pope, Ooh. he was canonizing much more regularly. Okay. But now it seems like he's gone through the people that he wanted to get canonized. Yeah. and So the most recent canonizations of note uh, of people that you may have heard of mm-hmm. were actually the more recent popes that got canonized. Interesting. Being a pope. But that being said, Pope uh, Francis um, managed to canonize four or five previous popes, looking down this list real quick. So obviously he's more into his canonization than other popes. Interesting. Um, and his most recent canonization... Um, was Marguerite Bays, who was a member of the Franciscan order that oh the weird nutters. that we were talking about. Oh. Um, so you know, um, and uh, yeah, there cool. we go. But I don't. It still doesn't tell me how these people yeah become canonized. Got what? Uh, um, he's also gone on and uh, canonized quite a few Mexican people, mm. which I imagine is because perhaps. It's only recently that anyone's bothered to yeah. deal with the Mexican faith, yeah. Catholic faith yeah, yeah, yeah. in the in the surely from European, the, surely from Italy. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they haven't been super yeah. focused on that. So anyway, so the next weirdo, yep, uh, that I have written down was Saint Erasmus, and I have a little bit more okay. information. About I didn't him do. Down. I don't know that I went to okay. Erasmus. So he's the patron saint of stomach pain. Okay, right. I think we may have mentioned that at the beginning of this. Oh yeah, I did, and that's because uh, while when Emperor, yeah, I did, I did a little bit. Maxa Maximica Maxa Maxim Maximica sure was the, the Roman emperor at the time, and they were obviously persecuting a lot of Catholics yeah. at this point. Um, found him and didn't like him very much, so had him beaten, whipped, uh-huh. placed in a barrel of spikes, and rolled down a hill. Yep, covered in pitch and set alight. Mm-hmm. And then his stomach was cut open, and his organs were pulled out and wound around a winch, and uh, he didn't die. No, I've got here angels he healed him for these oh, wounds. Oh, okay. Um, so it seems that... But did you ever find out how he died? Because I never got that note. No, I'm assuming he died when this happened. And, okay. And they just didn't tell the truth about it. So, so I, I got the impression that maybe the first stuff happened and he didn't die and he said angels saved him and then and maybe then they, the pulling the guts out was what yeah. killed him. Was that a common Roman thing to do? The the the, the organs and the winch? I'd never heard of this. Okay. I mean, the barrel protruding spikes and rolling him down a hill this is... Seems, seems very draconian. It also seems 
quite imaginative. Yeah, something like some, I don't someone, think they were doing that regularly. That's no, someone, someone who likes torture. Someone yeah. had fun coming like up with that's that idea. Some sicko who yeah. likes torture. Um, so what I'm finding, and as yeah. we talk more about this, is it seems that you are the patron saint of like something that you did. So mm-hmm. that you're like well known for like Bernardino yeah. was like the economist and Bernard yeah. was the patron saint of the Mount of the Alps because he spent all of his time there. Yeah. But then you're also sort of canonized for like the thing that didn't kill you makes you stronger yeah. idea where like, but but why would you not make him the patron saint of like stomach pain? Why make it something that's like that you could very easily take as a joke? He's, um, he's colic in children, abdominal pain, uh, cramps, the pain of women in labor. As well as sailors. Okay. Okay. And they think he may have been the pension state of sailors because he was continued preaching even after a thunderbolt struck the ground beside him. And this prompted sailors who were in danger of sudden storms and lightning to claim that he had saved them. Or he was Oh, he was there. In control. He was their saint. That's really, I it's just weird. Yeah. Oddly specific. Um but Whatever you got to do, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then our final one is St. Giles. Yeah. And I... Only... It's interesting, by the way, that this was a list of like 15, saints. 20 of saints. And we picked, and we the, picked same the same... The weirdest ones. Weird ones. Um, St. Giles, as you mentioned, uh, got all of his nourishment from his pet deer, his pet deer's milk. Yeah. Which is... which is, I had to check that a couple of times. Yeah. That was correct. Um, so now he is the patron saint of, of breastfeeding. Yes. And also Edinburgh. <laughs> I didn't see that. Yeah. He's, I, oh, was, okay. I was like, okay, like the breastfeeding thing, I kind of get that sort of makes sense. Yeah, but then yeah, they yeah. just tacked Edinburgh on. Um, yeah. He, on, on um, to the end of it. Do you have any more information on him? Uh, he, he was found, his retreat was finally found by the king, Wamba. Wamba. Wamba, who was a Visigoth. Okay. Um, who was a Visigoth, um, but must have actually been a Frank. And they just wrote it down wrong because there's no way that a Visigoth was where he was supposed to have been in that moment. Um, and he held the hermit in high esteem for his humility in rejecting all honours. Um, so Wamba, I think I just basically wrote this bit down because I like to say Wamba. Wamba. Uh, Wamba built him a monastery in his valley, um, St. Giles de Gord, uh, which he placed under benediction rule. And he died there in the early part of 8th century with the highest repute for sanctity and miracles. I Um, don't know what else he did, but the fact that he was like drinking from his deer's tea was a bit. There's something else to do with um, uh, something else to do with uh, Charlemagne, which. The king? Yeah, I didn't really understand um, because. There's everything seems to be wrong with it. Like the dates, none of the dates, <laughs> none of the dates match up. But apparently an angel deposited an altar on, upon the altar, a letter outlining a sin that Charlemagne had done that was so terrible that no one would ever dare confess it. That sounds pretty bad. Yeah. Probably right? sodomy or something. Um. Yeah. Or being a Jew. <laughs> um, so I got a little bit more about him. Yeah. Um. Hit me with it. So... Uh, it's actually his abbey is still pretty mm. significant, I guess. Um, and his cult, which guys is also what they call a saint who has like a specific, a specific sect or thing. Whatever. Yeah, it's not necessarily a cult. Like I was talking about, Saint Bernardino was yeah, a cult. Or Jim Jones. Yeah. Um, his cult 
uh, spread rapidly far and wide through Europe in the Middle Ages, so after he died. Um, and there's a lot of churches dedicated to him in France, hmm. Spain, Germany, Poland, Hungary, Slovakia, and in Great Britain. Oh. Um, can, commemorating his virtues and miracles. Um, and he vast numbers of pilgrims have flocked all over Europe to his shrine. Um, and he was one of the uh, relics, saint relics, that was moved. And um, most of the relics now are actually kept at his, uh, the Saint Gilles de Garde in 1862. A lot of saint relics were moved there. Um, and pilgrimages are still gone. People still oh, wow. pilgrim to him. Um, he is the patron saint of cripples and is also invoked as a saint for childhood fears, convulsions, depression. Hmm. Um, and Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, Obviously, like these. He these... is also one of the 14 holy helpers and the only non martyr. 14 holy helpers. Didn't get into it. Hmm. Um, but uh, he's pretty much considered one of the most saintly saints oh, that's that there ever was. I'm really glad we made fun of him for, uh -huh. for a minute. And so, a half. so just, just so that you know, on top of his weird thing where he drank deer milk, drank deer milk, which I don't know, not that weird. I whatever, guess. maybe it wasn't. Um, and by the way, uh, the an arrow was shot at his deer and it wounded him instead. Mm. So he is also sometimes considered. Uh, he's drawn usually with his deer and an arrow. Okay. If you see him. Yeah, Ber uh, Bernardo is drawn with dogs, um, obviously. I assume, I can only assume that my Bernardo <laughs> was drawn with bags of money and a crucified human <laughs> in the background. Um, so um, actually a very cool, very cool saint. Yeah. With um, still some. Weirdness. Legitimate. Yeah, a little weirdness because or else we wouldn't have looked him up. I'm sure there's lots of cool saints. Yeah. But um, interesting that. He is still pretty relevant yeah. today, and not much bad stuff is written about him. No, and that's your both are both these two saints sound fine. Fine. Sound like maybe not someone you would necessarily be friends with, but um, yeah. I mean, why you know? But that's fine. No, that was um. Yeah. yeah that was. I'm glad you did more research on them because I literally just wrote down the funniest parts um, <laughs> and would have offered zero actual information to sort of like. Uh, I don't want to mock them too much because people take this stuff seriously. Um, and I mean no offense. That was... To be the patron saint of breastfeeding is funny. Yeah. Especially it, if you're a man. You're, you're yes. a man and you're the patron saint of breastfeeding, it's funny. Yes, but for those that suffer from depression, childhood fears, convulsions, he is also your patron saint of those things, and it sounds like he was a really good guy. Yeah. Um, so that was that. We are going to do... Um, some bulk episodes and we haven't even decided on topics yet. Nope. Um, and we may do a catch up. Yeah, we might do a, a bit of a, I don't know what we'll call it. Maybe a catch up, like you just yeah. said. Or a, uh, or an addendum. Addendum. So you might see uh, some, some, some new formats for, yeah. uh, for our podcast. Yeah, but if you, that was Griffin. You don't do that. Um, who's come to join us in our final few minutes of the And if we recording. do do an addendum and you like it, uh, let us know. If you see might... bits of news, yeah. we'll certainly share it with everybody. Um, and as always, rate and review. I know you hear this from every podcast yeah. you ever listen to, but it actually means a huge amount to a huge amount of people if you rate and review podcasts that you enjoy. Yes. And 
Seriously, go on iTunes. It gives us such a thrill. And Adam needs to pick me up. He's been sick, guys. I've been sick for, oh, nine, he's, for nine weeks. Literally, this poor guy has been in quarantine <laughs> since the week before Christmas. Basically, yeah. 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 He saw, like, real humans. In fact... I think you saw real humans. There's there's stranger humans arriving yeah. here for the first time yeah. in <laughs> two or three months. Adam is about to go and socialize. Uh, yeah. Okay, guys. Not by the way. Let me be real clear. We're going to socialize at a safe distance with masks on outside yeah. with people that we do technically work with. So therefore, it's allowed <laughs> under the bounds of the law. All right. On that note. Bye. Bye.